Welcome to The Confidence Crown. I'm your host, Lisa Hyde, and each week I'll be sharing a solo episode or bringing in a guest that will help you bust through your fears and get you laser-focused on your dreams of time and financial freedom. I want to use this podcast as a way to empower as many women as I can to be financially self-sufficient, because babe, you rule. Think of me as your business bestie that's been through it all and here to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. And while I'm not claiming to have all the answers, hopefully I'll help you sidestep the last two. Ladies, it is time to earn and own your crown and be the yes queen you are destined to be. Together, let's make it rain. Episode 3 of The Confidence Crown. Mama's Girl. So yes, this episode is going to be about my mom and truly how I grew up. So it's going to give you a better understanding of what makes me tick Um, some of the choices I've made in my life, and possibly where my entrepreneurial spirit came from. But I want to give a big shout out to all the single moms out there, because I know how tough your job really is. So I was raised by a smart single mom that I adored. We were best friends, which is probably why I always felt closer to she and her friends than those my own age. She had me at 23, so we really grew up together travel together, and were often mistaken for sisters. I had the mom that all my girlfriends and boyfriends wanted to come over and talk to. I'd often find myself waiting for my friends to stop visiting with her so we could go out. Definitely annoying as a teenager, but very grateful as an adult. She was funny, wise, entrepreneurial, and could talk to anyone about any subject under the sun. She was Google before Google. As strong as she was, she was also fragile. She had had a tough relationship with her wealthy father and an even worse one with my deadbeat dad. Let's just say I get my bad men picker from her. She went out of her way to teach me to be independent and not to count on anyone to take care of me so that I wouldn't go through the same struggles she had had. She may have pushed me to be a little too independent. I've been told by men since I was a teenager that I intimidate them. But more about that in another episode. She was 25 when she got divorced. We were on our own, and the games her father played with her about money and my father's own absence in that department made her a very creative earner. She always found a way to provide for us, but I grew up fast. I remember clearly at age five making both of us breakfast in the morning and often my lunches too. I was a typical latchkey kid that grew up watching television every afternoon even though I was supposed to be reading. I also remember the debilitating migraines that she used to get, so I learned how to play quietly with my dog or toys. And as an only child, I was used to being alone. In elementary school, I felt a shift in dynamics. Of course she was my parent, but I also remember taking care of her a lot. Part therapist, part parent. Her choices in men, debilitating migraines, and financial troubles played a toll. We actually left Los Angeles when I was five to live in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, because my mom was helping her father with um, the opening of one of their retail stores, and she met a man on the plane who lived in Sacramento. He was a lobbyist, and the next thing you knew, we moved there. So this man ended up being my pseudo-stepfather. They never did get married, but they lived together for years. And they shared a home together. 
and we had what looked like a pretty typical, well, in that era, (laughs) two divorced families getting together. His kids would come in, stay with us every other weekend and six weeks out of the summer. Um, So I do have the experience of what brothers and sisters are like, um, even though I never had one of my own. Um, But he was not easy. He had a big job. Um, He was a lobbyist and worked at the Capitol which is why we moved to Northern California. And um, there was a lot of social life involved. So my mom was the hostess with the mostess. And um, the home that they shared together required her to be um, quite the entertainer. And she was really good at it, naturally. And there were lots of political people around and lots of schmoozing to be done. But he definitely had some issues, I think his own anger about his divorce and not being able to have his kids with him all the time. Um, He often used me as, don't take this literally, but a punching bag for the unhappiness that he felt. So he was rather nice to me and curious about my life and getting involved in it um, as long as his kids weren't around. If they were in town, it was like night and day. Um, I'd either get ignored or I'd get teased. and teased incessantly. It was kind of rough. Um, he's a typical bully. <laughs> uh, if I think back about it now, we had to do a lot of chores around the house and um, we had to carry our weight. Mind you, we were all rather young. I was five, six, seven when I remember these stories about chipping bricks and weeding <laughs> vegetable gardens and uh, I don't know. Not that not that chores aren't important or, or learning how to do these things aren't a great skill as a kid, but um, they were required. This was not a, could you please? It was, you have to go do this and get it done. Um, but again, the, the teasing um, was there and he would... Um, he wouldn't be very nice to me in front of his kids. And so that led to them teasing me. So it was uh, an odd dynamic for sure. Um, because again, when they weren't around, he was Mr. Friendly and he taught me how to box. We had a lot of animals at the house and he made sure that there were always dogs, which I loved. And I got to train one and show him and we had a tennis court and he helped me with my tennis. And, you know, for a lot of things, he was very fatherly. And then for other things, he was just a jerk. Um, probably the worst was the tickle torture. I know people don't understand what this is, but I warn you now, don't ever tickle me. I fight. I punch back. (laughs) But um, he would tickle me and I would cry and cry and I'd ask him to stop. And the only way that he would stop is if I wet my pants. So I'd have to pee to make him stop tickling me. So I don't know how much that would fly nowadays with the very PC life everyone has to live. But um, I used to call it tickle torture as a kid. And oh, man. Any boyfriend I've ever had knows, do not tickle me. Why am I sharing these stories? Um, Because a lot of what I saw in my childhood obviously played a part in my adult relationships and how I behaved with men and how I watched my mom behave with men. Um, The one big takeaway from that relationship um, was there were many things they didn't agree on. Um, We came from two different worlds. Um, Again, she, from a very wealthy, 
close-knit family and his uh, wasn't, or it wasn't a different way, but very, oh my gosh, this is like <laughs> star-crossed lovers, right? Romeo and Juliet. These are black and white. Um, you know, he was... Catholic and we're Jewish and when it came to holidays what were we going to do and sometimes things mixed and sometimes they didn't um the fact that my family has both a retail and entertainment background we always celebrated every holiday because it was good for business so I never really saw the difference between the two but he obviously was very pro for his holiday and did not participate in what my mom and I did and I saw that at a young age and thought that was odd um, because we always participated with him. And there was also this weird thing about money. So this will come up on and on and on. I'm sure this is one of those many limiting beliefs in life that has stuck with me. But remember, they shared a house together. They put in the same amount of funds to remodel and rebuild it. Um, it was a beautiful home. But when it came to odd things like groceries, uh, my mom and I had to keep a separate shelf in the refrigerator. Isn't that bizarre? And I totally remember this. He had his food and we had our food. And let me say that again, because remember my mom was the hostess with the mostess and she was entertaining for all of his political friends. I never quite understood or asked her about that later in life, but I'm assuming she had to turn in receipts or split bills or she just ate the cost because it was so weird. Um, that when, again, it was just three of us in the house, things were very separated. When his kids were there or when we were having any kind of parties, everything seemed mutual. So I don't know. There was just some weird stuff. He was weird. He's still weird. <laughs> but there was definitely a point where their engagement was not going to go any further. And they decided, or I guess they took a moment, they took a break um, over the holidays one year to decide if they wanted to actually go forward and get married or end their relationship. And this is an eight and a half year relationship, if I remember correctly, eight or nine. And in the state of California, that already means you're married. So we go to LA for the holidays and he went to Mexico on vacation. And we came back two weeks later and he had a wife. He got married. Yeah. So that ended. And my mom and I moved on. <laughs> we didn't come back to LA yet, unfortunately. We stayed there for a few more years. And um, her next relationship was with her therapist. God, I don't know when those HIPAA laws kicked in, but obviously it wasn't in that era. And he was a cool dude, I guess, kind of hippie-ish, um, very chill and had helped her <laughs> or at least we thought he had helped her get over this breakup. But the next thing I know, the therapist is actually like the boyfriend and he's kind of living with us. And there's an engagement. She's got a ring. And I have a weird feeling about this guy. So whatever intuitive abilities that I had as a child, <laughs> I definitely liked and disliked men in my mom's life. And I had opinions about them at a very young age and I voiced them. The first being that pseudo stepfather. I didn't like him very much. Uh, second being the therapist. <laughs> he seemed okay, but I came home from school one afternoon. Mind you, I'm, this is junior high going into high school. And he's home because obviously he kept weird hours because you're not always with a patient. And 
he was sitting on the at the dining room table and there's a glass which looked like ice water and I went to grab to take a swig of it as I walk into the kitchen because I don't know just water on the table I don't think twice and I take a giant gulp and I immediately like spit it out I was like what the and this was before I had, I don't, I don't think I had dabbled yet or tried any. Okay, so this must be junior high. I haven't tried any alcohol. Um, <laughs> uh, but it was vodka and it was straight up vodka. And this was like 3.30 in the afternoon. So I didn't make a big deal about it with him as much as like, I was like, oh, sorry, I guess that wasn't water. Um, but I remember waiting for mom to get home from work and pulled her aside to tell her. And she was like, no, 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 there's no way that he's drinking during the day. And I was like, yes, 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 he is. So curious enough, she started marking his vodka bottles. And I don't know if it was a few days or a few weeks, but she came back to me and she's like, you're right. And soon we were saying goodbye to the therapist, Um, which in the end, very happy because again, he was a little weird. And not too stereotype people because there are good and bad in all walks of life, but therapists tend to bring a lot of baggage with them. They're not the happiest people to be around. So it was nice not to have him in my day-to-day environment. All right, next came, oh, some cute rugby player. Yeah, he was cute. My mom, that was a cute one. Um, He was fun for her. I don't know how serious they ever were, but it definitely occupied her time and made her happy, which was nice to see. I mentioned before that she had debilitating migraines and there were often, you know, days in a month where she would be locked in a dark room, you know, with an ice pack and um, no noise, nothing, just trying to get her through those waves of pain. And um, he would come around and maybe take me to dinner or I don't know. I don't remember him a lot, but I do remember him being fun for her. And I think at this point in life, I'm now in high school. Yeah. And I have my first boyfriend. And so I, I don't really care what my mom is doing. Um, I, I'm busy with my own activities. I'm 14 and a half, 14 and a half. Yep. 14 and a half, 15 somewhere there. Um, And I am just mad, passionate, oh my God, head over heels, in love with my first boyfriend. And we have so much fun together. And we're always around each other from school to after school. um, He's in a band and um, he's really creative and he makes me mixtapes and oh my God, everything was just fantastic. And he and my mom got along pretty well. So he would hang out at our house a lot too. His parents worked and they weren't always home as often at his place. So he was at my place a lot. Um, or we were at his place without his parents, which is a whole other story. Um, <laughs> but um, my mom could see that things were getting pretty serious, pretty fast. And she was really adamant about me not making uh, the similar mistakes that she had made in her life. And so this crush was growing into like a deep, you know, first love. And she was thinking fast on her feet on how to get this to come to an end. Um, Knowing she couldn't tell me to stop seeing this person, um, she decided the better way would be to move us back to L.A. So, yeah. Um, so that was, yeah, that was my sophomore year of high school. Yes. So 14, 
no, 50, yeah, 15, 15. Sorry, guys, I'm trying to do the math here. So June, sophomore year of high school, great boyfriend, first love, everything's awesome. School year ends and she's like, yep, we're going to move back to Los Angeles. I'm like, what? Why didn't we go years ago? Why are we going now? Now that I'm happy, why do we have to go? So here we go, get packed up. Um, and oh my God, I remember this like it was a movie. <laughs> the car is packed. Um, he's crying. I'm crying. And um, he's on his bike and his 10 speed. And he is pushing those wheels as fast as he can behind us as, as we drive away from Sacramento and head back to Los Angeles. With all my mixtapes in tow that he made me, he was such a romantic. It was so much fun. And I just was crying and listening to all the great music. And about a month and a half later, I turned 16. And I've been planning for this day my whole life. I've already told you that I had a part-time job. I've been putting money away. When I moved back to LA, I got a job right away in retail. Um, I was at Bullock's Wilshire for a split second in the Valley, but then I got my dream job. I worked for a spree in West Hollywood. So I went there every day um, and lived my dream life at 16. But turning 16 that day, I went straight to the DMV. I took my driver's license test. I passed it with 100% flying colors and went directly to purchasing a car. And here's where we go back to uh, the men in my life. So my mom, at this point, couldn't hide me from my father or those issues. And I don't think I've even shared this with you. My dad, not just being a deadbeat dad, um, had a drug and alcohol problem. And um, for years, my mom tried to kind of cover up or hide or protect me from a lot of it. By the time I hit junior high, though, he was fully exposed um, because I had a girlfriend who came to spend spring break with me there. And she um, was crying hysterically because of those homemade cigarettes that he was smoking. And these were the same homemade cigarettes that I used to help him roll because he said I had small fingers and I could make these really tight cigarettes for him. Sometimes he called him a doobie. <laughs> Um, I was clueless, but she wasn't. And she called her mom and she's hysterical. And the next thing I know, my mom's calling and she is figuring out how to pick the two of us up and get us out of Southern California where my dad was living and away from him because she realized he was smoking pot in front of us, which he always had. I just didn't know it. So <laughs> I tried to explain that to her. I'm like, oh, that's this homemade cigarettes. He's always done that. And she was floored. She was floored. And I always hated it, but I just I just hated cigarettes. I didn't really know the difference between the two, except one came in a pretty red blocks that would be Dunhill. And the other was in this like little metal tin that he carried around. Those were the homemade ones. But I remember him smoking in the car with his uh, wife, my stepmonster. And I would hide in the back seat, but like on the floor behind the driver's seat, like as, as close to the floor of the car that I could get so, so the smoke wouldn't bother me because I think they hotboxed you back then. I don't think they opened windows in cars. So I just remember I hated the smell of it, whatever it was, and I couldn't stand it. It always made me upset. But 
My mom just knew about the cigarettes. She didn't understand that the homemade cigarettes were something totally different until my junior high girlfriend explained that to her mom. So here we go. So now I'm, oh gosh, 14-ish at that point, 13, 14. And um, there's no hiding anymore. My dad, um, all of his bad behaviors um, and things that he's always done and the manipulative games he's played and all the non-trustworthy life events that he has put me through. Maybe that that's a whole other episode. <laughs> he was not a very good parent. Um, he was great at taking me to Disneyland, but after that, no. But this was also the point where I got to stop or I got to put my foot down about wanting to spend time with him. Before that, she kind of kept following the rules, even though he was never paying child support. I was still spending um, that type of time with him that divorced parents split. So as I am about to turn 16, my mom, this does come full circle, my mom says, you know what? The one guy who knows about used cars is your dad. My dad used to collect really nice used cars. He always had a passion for them. It's where I get it from. Um, but he had really cool, cool cars. So she's like, you know what? Tell him your budget and ask him to help you find a car because she knew nothing about cars and she'd always actually purchased most of them through him. So I called. I gave him a list of what I wanted and I gave him a list of what I didn't want. And I told him how much money I had. Okay, I'll do my best. I'll find you a car and we'll have it to you on your 16th birthday. Okay, great. And that's about it. Um, I was really clear on what I wanted and what I would and didn't want. I'm just going to repeat that one a few hundred times. So jump to my birthday. I've come back from the DMV and I'm excited and I'm waiting for my car and I'm waiting for my car. And I'm, Where are they? They're driving up from Orange County, and I'm at my grandparents' house, which is like Bel Air, and and we get a phone call. Um, we're running a little bit late, but we'll be there soon. Okay. Finally, and this is where it gets a little foggy to me. I believe they came up, but it was like by a taxi. Um, the car didn't make it, but he didn't tell me that part yet. He came in, had me sign the contract to the unseen car, take my money, and then proceeded to tell us that the car had overheated or something minor and it was just a couple miles away at um, the gas station cooling off and that, um, you know, as soon as this transaction was over, he would take me down to get the car. Ugh, the, the, the forever agent, the deal memos that my dad used to send me. Um, here we go again. I'm signing a contract, sight unseen, and we get to the gas station and I break out in hysterics. It's the one fucking car I did not want. Okay, I know I sound like a spoiled, rotten child, but remember, I'm paying for it. And I did not want a fucking rabbit. Um, I'm a convertible girl even then, and I gave him a list of cool cars. I wanted a Carmen Ghia. I did not want a fucking rabbit. Every little prissy girl had a rabbit. It just wasn't the cool car. The cool car was the Carmen Ghia or something called a thing. I just, uh, a Fiat, anything, not a rabbit. 
Anyway, the worst part though is, is my head is shaking and I'm so frustrated, um, but I want my car because I know it's my ticket to freedom. I get this crazy pang and I'm like, I recognize this car. My dad just sold me my step monster's piece of shit car. Yep, that was 16. So it wasn't that the car overheated. It had an alternator problem. And there you go. Um, I probably went through like five or six alternators with this car. It was a piece of shit. Um, it was the last time I probably had a conversation at length with him or her. Um, and they took my money. No problem. They were good. They didn't have any issues with it. So um, <laughs> that kind of wraps up the story about my dad. Um, although he comes back a few times later and we'll get to that again. But this is where Lisa really starts to flex her independence. Um, I got in that broken down piece of shit car and I drove straight to Sacramento to go see my boyfriend. <laughs> Happy sweet 16 to me. Um, my mom was a little hysterical when she realized that I had taken off and went out of town. She really didn't want me leaving Los Angeles, um, but she she knew that um, I was miserable. She knew that I had just been screwed over by my dad, and she knew the only person who was going to make me happy was my boyfriend. So by the time I made it to Sacramento, his parents were waiting in the driveway with him, and uh, basically they told me that you know I could stay the night. Um, but that I had to turn around and drive right back. So it was a short visit, as fun as it was. And I started to establish more ties in Los Angeles and um, met my next boyfriend, who was a musician as well, and just kept working. I went to school, I went to work, and I hung out with my boyfriend and the band and the girls that were part of that as well. And I really had fun in high school. But I just wanted it to end. Um, I already knew what I wanted to do for a career, and I wanted to just get through college to just get to work and to get on with my life because I felt like everything else that was happening was just slowing me down. And I think I'm going to wrap here for now and make this the end of part one about Mama's Girl. And we'll come back to talk more about my mom and my relationships. If you are a child of divorce and raised by a single, strong, awesome mom, please tag me in an Instagram story of yours. I'd love to hear and see about your mom because moms rock.